You know who wrote that song, don't you, all those years ago? And by the name of John Newton, and he was a slave trader. That's what he did. He bought and sold human flesh. But somewhere on that journey, a million miles away from the heart of God, amazing grace, amazing grace, amazing grace. That those were his words. That was, that was what came out of his heart when it dawned on him that the Jesus who was hanging on the cross was the Jesus who was there for his sin. And he felt the weight of what he had done, the wrong of what he had been engaged in. That's the context, folks. It's not just a cheap grace. It's not just, well, God had to love me. No, he didn't. It's amazing grace that in his heart there was, in the middle of all that we have done that would offend him, there was still a desire for a relationship with us. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was paying the price for your sins and my sins so that there could be a wide open door for us to have a relationship with the Father. Amazing grace. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Oh, goodness. Amen. 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 Our hope Though tested, our hope, though tried, never dies. Never dies. Our hope, though tried, never dies. Have you ever had the thought, I wonder why I just can't quit believing? I wonder why, with all that's gone on, with all that I may be facing right in the middle of your life right now, why I can't just give up. Paul wrote, we've said this verse, quoted this verse many, many times around here. Now, may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. One reason you can't quit hoping as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, is because it's not just your energy generating the hope. It is the power of Almighty God. It's the power of the Spirit of the resurrected Jesus that keeps refreshing that hope within you. Now, I, I want to just read some verses out of Psalm number 34 from a man who lived because there was hope working in his heart. His name was David, King David. Uh, 
the, the warrior David, the, the one who the Lord would say was the man after his own heart. But listen to this. It, it's not easy to walk in hope. It, it, it's not easy for the negativism and the pessimism that can surround us in this life to not win. But in Jesus, in the power of his spirit, there is a way to live your life radiating hope. Listen to this. This is Psalm 34. David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. You're not going to hear proud people rejoicing with you that your boast is in the Lord. Or that your hope is in the Lord because their hope is in themselves. Their hope is in their stuff. But David is saying the humble, the humble are going to hear what I'm saying. And they're going to, they're going to say, amen. That's right. That's truth. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Then he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. And then he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Verse 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And then he says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the soul of his servants. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now how can David say many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all. As if that is, that is the continuous operative power of the Lord God of hosts. To deliver his own from their troubles. And he didn't just say some of them. He said all of the troubles. All of the afflictions. The reason he could say that, folks is because some of you can say the same thing that David could say. He's done it for me. 
I'm not waiting for God to do something new to convince me of his love for me or his power to rescue me or for his ability to push the enemy back and to set me free. I have seen him do it again and again and again. Therefore, I can make the statement about the present and the future that he delivers. He delivers. He delivers. He delivers. Out of all of the afflictions, those things that come upon the righteous, those trying to live right for God. I'm talking to some folks. I hope hope there's just... Everybody who's listening is already, has already entered into this covenant relationship with the Lord. That, Lord, I, I belong to you. You bought me with the blood of Jesus. You've forgiven me through the blood of Jesus. And I receive you, Jesus. I embrace you as my own. But to as many as received him, Jesus, to these the Father gave the right to be called the children of God. Lord, I'm entering into that covenant relationship with you on the basis of faith and the blood of your Son. I am yours. I belong to you. You are my Father, not just my Creator, but you are my Father. And I take seriously, and I have come to experience it through seasons in my own life. That many are the afflictions, many are the troubles that can be, can come the way of the one who's trying to love God. But Lord, it is my testimony to you that you have and you are and you will forever deliver me from all my troubles. Now we're going to lean into that a little bit this morning. I want you to go to Romans, the book of Romans in chapter 8, and that very familiar verse to us, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And Paul writes, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him, who love God. And to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. That he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, folks, this is not a blanket statement that God causes all things for all people to always work together for good. There's a very definite limitation on the statement. So, so for folks who, 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 there isn't anything working in their heart of affection toward God. In fact, every other, you know, the, the, take his name in vain, do stuff that just obviously would offend him, that have checked out on any kind of relevancy in their, in their lives to the truth of Scripture, and yet they're saying, well, I know God's just going to cause it all to work out. Where do you get that? I know it's all going to work out together for good. Where do you get that? On what do you stand? 
If it is that, that I'm, just, I'm just a member of the general population, then this verse is not talking to the general population. This is talking to folks who have said, number one, God, I, may, I know I'm imperfect. And I know that things about my life that, that I wish were different and mistakes I have made. But from the depth of my heart, there's something in me that loves you. I'm a lover of you, God. You matter to me. I'm not ashamed to be called your son or your daughter. Love God and then call according to his purpose. Recognizing that God has a purpose for your life. And that you, though we may not understand all the details of it, there is something inside us that says yes to the purpose of God for my life. Lord, I want you to be glorified. I want you to be magnified. Jesus, I want you to be spoken well of through my life. Now, folks, that, that is the qualifying application of what this promise or who this promise is for. This is not a statement guaranteeing that God is going to cause everything to work out for good to everybody on the planet. It's not. It doesn't say that. But what it does say is if you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, if you're trusting in his shed blood to forgive you, if there's a yes in your heart to his plan for your life, whatever that may be, then here's what he says he will do. He will cause all things. That means everything. That means each thing. That means the sum total of all things to work together for good in your life. When we say our hope, though tested, though tried, never dies. It is anchored in this conviction in the hearts of the lovers of Jesus and the ones who want him to be honored and magnified in their lives. It is the hope that even though all the circumstances have not been from God, the enemy is alive and well. That the principle of sin and the reality of Satan operating in the world, those things, entities, will cause many things. God doesn't cause all things, but it says he is the one who has the power to cause all things to work together for good in life. It doesn't mean that he spares us necessarily from the things that anybody else may go through. But here's what happens. He promises to inject himself into those circumstances and turn what the enemy means for evil and destruction and death for you and to turn it for good. The word good, that which is profitable, that which is useful, that which is life and life-giving, the ability to give life, that which is beautiful, that which is excellent, Paul writes this knowing that most folks are going to have to read this from the standpoint that they weren't born with a silver spoon in their mouth. 
They, they didn't have all evil and darkness and offense and, and, and wrong things kept a mile away from them. This would be a loaded statement that only by the power of the Spirit of God opening the eyes of your heart you can get that even in the worst of the worst, even in the seeming unending minutia and trivia of life, anywhere on the spectrum of circumstances and events and settings in a life, this massive promise God is able to cause everything to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. So, so where there is the sense of amen, yes, Lord, I don't love you all that I ought to in the ways that I fully should. And, and, and I, I can be a fickle lover at times, Lord, but you know me. You know that I don't have anybody better than you in my life. I don't have anyone, anything that evokes the kind of affection toward you that you do. I love you, Lord. Imperfect though it may be. And Lord, I believe somehow, and I don't understand how in the world, you could hit a long lick with this crooked stick that I am. But I believe there's a calling that you've called me unto yourself. I believe I'm not just an accident. I'm not just a mistake. But you've got me on this earth for a reason. You put me in the family that I'm in. You put me where I work. You've, you've given me the relationships that I have because there was a calling on my life from you. And as I embrace that, folks, listen. As you embrace that, here's what begins to work by the power of the Spirit of Jesus, the God of hope inside you. There comes to be a sense of rest. There comes to be a sense of peace working in your heart. That even though I can't see how it's finishing up right now, I can't see the bow tied on the top of the package right now, but what I know in my knower is that even in this, God is causing it to work together for good in my life. Now, for young believers, for new believers, you need to go find you and make a good friend out of somebody who's a little stooped, who's got about 40 or 50 worn out Bibles on their shelf, who may have some calluses on their knees because they've been down by the side of their bed so long. And you just let them break open their history book for you. It won't matter to them if you believe one syllable they've spoken. They will know that they know that they know what God has done in their lives to cause the all things to work together for good in them. Let me give you just a brief few this morning. Places where our hope can be active that God is causing good, good to come out of and to come from and through the circumstances. It is the hope that a minus means more is coming. It's the hope that a minus 
means more is coming. Joseph. Joseph. The great minusing out of the proper relationship that older brothers ought to have had for their youngest brother. The minusing out of a relationship that he would have wanted with his father and mother. The minusing out of a native country that would have honored him and recognized him as someone to take care of. Joseph lost all of that. But somewhere in the heart of that young man, there wasn't a giving up. That just because people have checked out on me, blood can have given up on me, turned against me, sold me into slavery, and here I am in the middle of a no man's land that I have no concept of who people are, what the language is, anything about the geography, anything about the culture, religiously or politically. There he sat. But the scripture records that Joseph was a young man upon whom the favor of the Lord rested. God was using even the betrayal, the abandonment, the abuse of his brothers to get him to a place that he would never have been had there not been some catapulting, some shooting of him out of some cannon into some place that only the Lord knew where he would land. And he ends up, he ends up after years. This wasn't a six-month deal or a two-week adventure. There were years. But he ended up at the right hand of Pharaoh himself, the single most powerful political figure perhaps on the face of the earth at that time. God used a minus in his life to bring about much more in his life. David is another example. David is another example. Called of the Lord, again, the youngest of a series of brothers, and you know the story of of David. But he just did what he was supposed to do. He took down the nine and a half foot tall Goliath and everybody recognized his name, more than likely as a teenager, and, and he was called to service in the king's court, in Saul's court. But then Saul, the king, became jealous of him. And he was minused out of the king's favor. He was, he was minused out of even relationship with his family. He had to leave his wife and so forth and just run. But in those places, in those hidden, forsaken, lonely places, that's where... That young man who was now no longer a shepherd of sheep, but he was being led as a young man by the great shepherd of the sheep. And here's where he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack for anything. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Because his rod and his staff go with me. He ends up being at, the years, at 30 years of age. He steps into that place of his anointing, which was the beginning of the pulling together of all the tribes of Israel back under one monarchy. At 30 years of age, that process began. 
Saul was gone, Jonathan was gone, David is now the king. Folks, listen. And I'm looking into the faces of some folks who, could, who would stand up in the pew or stand up on the top of your dining room table or pull over your truck if you're driving it and just get outside and say, it's true. It's true. What looked like minuses in my life, God caused it to work together for much more. You talk about a deal. You talk about an operative deal. That's a deal. All he asks is that we love him. And we do our best to keep operating in such a way as the calling upon our lives can, be, can take us to where he would want us to, to be. And in response to that, here's his pledge to you. He will cause all things. But don't eliminate it. Don't, don't start saying everything but that or everything but that or everything that, that's not there. What part of all things are we not going to accept? Some of the all things may involve us coming to the place of forgiving someone's, releasing someone's back to the Lord who offended us greatly. David was in that category. Saul, who came after him. Joseph and the brothers. But he stood and he looked in their faces one day. When they were needing his kindness, they were needing a benefit from him, and they recognized him after all those years. He had known them for a while, had known them in the country for a while, and this is what he said, what you meant for evil, God has turned for good. All things, all things working together for good. I I just want us to be able to rejoice in that. And not, not put those times when the Lord's done such things for us as if there's some sort of a, you know, a, a closed history book that, that we've put on a shelf somewhere and never think about. It'll keep your faith vibrant. It'll give you something to say to the next generation and even speak to your own self when the difficult times and challenges come. But wait a minute. I remember that year. I remember those days. I remember that setting. I remember that street address. I remember what was going on when he turned a minus into much. Amen. So that's one to remember. Our hope that a a minus means more is coming. Second thing, a hope working within us that a little, a little, a little, a pitiful little means much is coming. Jesus would say in Luke chapter 6, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, spilling over into your lap. The extent to which you give to others is the extent to which it will be given to you in return. I'm looking into the faces of some folks who would say, Pastor, That has been absolutely true in my life. 
I was determined that it wouldn't just be when I had plenty that I would honor the Lord from the first of that which he blessed me with. But I would start right where I was with what I had in hand. And in the place of in the eyes of others, a a, a pitiful portion. My heart was to give. My heart was to take the Lord at his word. That where I needed something, it was out of my poverty that I gave. Now we bless the Lord that we understand that principle so when he blesses with plenty, we continue to give from the plenty. But folks, I'm going to tell you, some of the most set free, fired up, pew jumping followers of Jesus are the ones who may never have $100,000 in a CD somewhere. But they know that when I need something, when I have a physical, material need, that which triggers the release from the generosity of my Father's heart is when He sees me taken out of my poverty and giving to Him that which may cost me far more than if I had all kinds of money in the bank. But it represents a place in my heart of believing that my Father will not lie to me. My Savior is good for His Word. And I, you know, I'm not going to chase this rabbit too far. I'm going to shoot over his head. But it's important. It's just important to take inventory If we're running short on finances, have we not taken this into account? Give and it should. Folks to say, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. I can't afford it. I can't afford it. We don't really have much to talk about. Did it afford? Could the Lord have afforded the price that he paid? You and me to be set free by the blood of his only son. Could he have afforded it? No, but he did it anyway, and he beckons us to give, and it shall be given. For him to say, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's all I need to say about that, because every time I say anything about this on the subject of giving, it may have been material giving, in in a sense, financial giving, I I seem like I'm always just overwhelmed by wonderful folks saying, oh, pastor, I wish you'd walked out there and put that microphone in my face, (laughs) because I've got some stories to tell that he took my little, and he turned it into, we could say much, but he turned it into enough. He turned it into enough. He turned it into enough. It may not be a financial place of poverty. It may be an emotional place of poverty. Maybe the place of where where did my friend go? Where are are those that that, that I I, I, I should be receiving some encouragement from? Where where are they? And then we come right back to this. Here it is. Whether it's friendship needed, fellowship needed, Finances needed. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, 
spilling over into your lap to the degree that you give it out is the degree that it comes back. So our hope, our hope, because he is faithful to honor what he's given us instruction to do, our hope can be settled at the place that a little, a little means much is coming. A little means much is coming. A little means much is coming. Here's another one. Our hope. Hope not only that a minus means more is coming, or a hope that a little means more is coming, but our hope that an assignment means an ability is coming. An assignment means an ability is coming. I want you to find Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Let me read, start into this. This is Philippians chapter 4 and, and verse 11. Philippians 4, 11. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need in any circumstance. Then he says a summary statement of the above, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. My assignment, he's saying, in some seasons of my life was to live in a contented fashion with much, plenty. And I was able to be content with that. Then another season came along and the much was depleted and there was very little. But you know what? Learned, I found the secret of being content in that place too. Why? Because I can fulfill every assignment God gives me through the power that He puts in me. I can do, I can do without whining, without complaining without wondering, without checking out on a walk that would pursue the Lord. I, I can do all things by means of the power that he's giving me. Now, folks, here's something that is the gorilla in the room. Somehow, as believers... We take on this false sense of responsibility for our own outcome, for our own resolve, for our own ability to stay at the task. When Jesus, from the very beginning, said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, what part of nothing, folks, do we not get? We can't read and understand the Bible without his help. 
We can't engage in relationships, Christian or otherwise, without his strength. We can't face and endure and go through the things coming our way and fulfill the assignments that he is giving us without his strength. I heard a businessman say one time, Christian love the Lord, Christian brother. But he was in a season where he was having to depend upon the Lord for every phone call, for every small check, as well as the big ones. And his statement was, in all honesty, this life of total dependency upon the Lord is about to kill me. That's what he said. I couldn't help but just chuckle as he said that because that's our flesh. That's what our flesh says. We like to get some sort of legs of our own. But the safest place for you, the most joyful place for you and for me, is to realize that from heaven's perspective, he looks at us and he knows that apart from his strength in us, we can't do anything that really counts, that really matters, that really completes the task. So therefore, Lord, I'm asking you, I'm counting on you in the middle of this place of little or plenty, this place of old assignments or brand new assignments. I'm counting on you fill me, to give to me, to give to me the ability that matches the assignment. He doesn't just throw us out onto the field and say, run the plays, win the game. It's all up to you. Instead, it is. Apart from me, you can't do anything. But then Paul states it positively. But you know what? I can do everything he assigns me to do through the power of his spirit strengthening me. That's our hope. So instead of being afraid of some new change at work, some new shift assignment, some new opportunity, we're realizing that, Lord, if this is from you, and I don't know, sick them from come here about that assignment right there. But what I do know is if you've given me this assignment, you're going to give me the ability, the favor, the thinking, the discipline, whatever it takes to do it. Our hope, our hope is in him. Our hope is in him. It, it, it isn't just the sitting in the pew church stuff. You know, carrying the Bible, and I'm glad we're doing it, carrying the Bible into a building, sit in a pew, sing the songs as if this is where it really counts. This is not where it really counts. If it's good, it's fine. We need to be together to encourage each other, hug each other's neck, and sing praises. But the real test of whether he's gotten your mouth or whether he's gotten your heart or your mind is out yonder. And that's where he wants to show you his power. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but you can do everything I've assigned you to do with my power at work in you. Amen. So that's our hope. That's our hope. It's a hope that doesn't die. I'm not an orphan. I'm not just sent out on my own, but that he will supply me with even the abilities that are necessary for me to do that which he's called me to do. Here's another one. Our hope, though tried, never dies. Our hope 
that humility means honor is coming. Our hope that humility means honor is coming. Our hope that the low road leads to the highest place. First Peter 5, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. James, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There is a work of the Spirit that resonates with our spirits, that when you are where you are supposed to be with the Lord, loving him, desiring for his calling to be manifested in your life, whatever he chooses, that you don't have to be the biggest publicity agent on the planet for you to get where you'd like to be. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in that place of humbling yourself under what you believe to be his ultimate control, this is financial, this is professional, this is family, this is economic, this is anything and everything. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt you. He will exalt you. He will exalt you. He, when? When will he exalt you? When you stayed in that place of humbling yourself under his hand. You talk about freedom in a professional sense. Where you really only have one boss to please. And he is the God of all creation. He is the mover and shaker off the charts. And he knows when it's time for Joseph to be pulled out of a prison cell in Egypt and taken and seated at the right hand of the Pharaoh. When, when even David had opportunity on at least two different occasions to put to death Saul, who was hunting him down like a dog, doing everything he could to kill this young competitor. And David said before his men, as they were wondering, now's your chance in the cave, now's your chance. Here's the sword, here's the spear. Kill him and be done with your trouble. To which David said, I will not lift my hand against God's anointed. He understood that Samuel, the same one who had anointed him to be king, had anointed Saul in a day, in, in two or three decades before. He stayed, he kept himself under the mighty hand of God and waited for the timing of God to elevate him. And it came, it happened. God did it in his way. Some of you have lived long enough to realize some of the ones that push and connive and manipulate and, you know, turn, say things about you or whatever, and you just try to keep doing what you're assigned to do, 
and they're doing all the things they got to do. Sometimes younger believers need to hear these stories. I'm looking around for the, the guy that had such a big mouth, that woman who had such, seemed to have such connections. All of a sudden, they were gone. All of a sudden, they were exposed. Their heart was exposed. And in the place of all of that, God was the one who put me where he put me. Folks, listen. When there's the sense of that in your heart, even in business, and I would say especially in business, where you know that the Lord has put you there, then here's what else you know. The Lord's the one going to keep you there. Woe be to the ones who come against the one or ones whom God has put in place at that time. But even if they succeed in doing something to have you removed, that's where that first one kicks in. Minus. A minus just means more is on the way. He's allowing something less to be removed so that something greater can be brought into your life. I need to, I need to wrap this up. And I'm trying to figure out where I need to land, where this last one needs to land. Here's the last one. Here's my hope, our hope. It's not only that a minus means more is coming. A little means much is coming. An assignment means ability is coming. And that humility means honor is coming. But we finish with this. Our hope is that where my failure is great. His grace is greater. For my failure is great. His grace is greater. I want you to find Jeremiah chapter 29, just quickly. Jeremiah chapter 29. And you're going to find that Jeremiah 29 verse 11 is a well-worn verse for many of us. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. But what we don't pick up and appreciate to the degree that we ought to is the setting with which the promise is made. Look at verse 4, 29 verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, look, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. They were sent because they had abandoned the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had, they had allowed all sorts of things to happen within the fabric of the nation. And as a result, the hand of God lifted and the protection was gone, provision was gone, and Nebuchadnezzar's armies were allowed to breach the walls of Jerusalem, destroy the city, and carry off the captives. It, it, was, it was because of the seeds that they had sown. Thus says the Lord of hosts to the exiles. Verse 5, these are the ones in Babylon now. They have been carried away. Jerusalem is in the distant past. Build houses and live in them. 
and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. And seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you, where I have sent you into exile. They were where they were as a consequence of their wrong choices, many of them. Some were too young. Some like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. They were also deported, but they had not been a part of the criminality of the acts of the, the elders, adults of their day. But they were affected by the consequences of the sins of their fathers. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. Do you hear the tender heart of the Lord? Even though you're living out the consequences of sins that you've committed or things that have been done against you, even in the place where you are, I love you. Even in the place where you are, I still have the ability to take care of you and to bless you, even there. Verse 8, for thus says the Lord of hosts, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners, do not listen to the dreams which they dream and so forth. But then he says, because they were saying, this is going to be over quickly. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortune and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Where my failure is great, His grace is greater. Even in the place where I am surrounded by the consequences of my sin, the Lord still says, I know the plans that I still have for you. Plans for a future and plans for a hope. Not for calamity and destruction, but for a future. Do you see, folks, that even that place where my failures have been great. Even there, His Word is true. My God is able to cause all things to work together for good to those who love Him and to those who are called according to His name. I want to read you the words as we close of this 
this old hymn. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. Our hope, though tested, will not die. Amen. 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 Could I ask you to stand with me, please, those of you who are a part of our Alamo City family this morning in the building. Those of you, so many of you, who are part of our streaming family. Came into this praying, Lord, will you baptize us afresh with your spirit and fire? causing your words to burn in our hearts and the conviction to rise up within us that it's all true. It's all true and it's all mine for the claiming and the possessing. Lord, would you do that? We ask you for that. We believe it's a part of our heritage as your children that you would pour out upon us the promise of the Father afresh filling of your spirit drenching of us with your spirit and with fire makes all the difference in our abilities all the difference in our passions all the difference in our ability to stay with the task when we realize that the strength is coming from you thank you that you are the God of hope and you are the one who energizes and refreshes the ability to believe you, to hope in you in these ways we've talked about this morning. But you're the one who keeps that strong by the empowering of your spirit. In Jesus' name. If you've never opened your heart up to Jesus, there's no better time than right now. Just open your heart up to him, Lord Jesus, the best I can, I receive you into my heart as my Savior from my sins. The best I can, I believe that when you died on the cross, you died for me. When you were raised from the dead, 
It was proof that when I put my trust in you for the payment of my sins, the Father accepted that sacrifice. You were raised because the sacrifice was accepted. I embrace your resurrection, meaning I embrace by faith that I am forgiven, that I am forgiven, that I am forgiven, and that you, I trust now by your Spirit, will fill me, strengthen me, convince me of the hope that is mine in you. Amen? Amen. Amen. If we can pray for you in this room, we welcome you to come. Prayer partners, if you'll join me. Thank you so much for all of you here and our streaming family for the prayer, for the encouragement, for the notes, for the Facebook responses, for the financial help that you, you're bringing as you are led to do it. And God bless you in return for that as well. Amen. Well, we'll see you next time. God bless you for being here with us this day. We'll look forward to another time in his presence. Amen.